Hello, everybody. How you doing? Hope all is well. Welcome to this lecture. Today, we're going to be primarily discussing one of the fallacies that gets in the way of exercising good judgment. We're going to define a little bit about what good judgment is from Aristotle's perspective through Dr. Cohen's eyes using the new rational therapy. And we're also going to be moving into pigeonholing, which we discussed in class a little bit. I'm hoping to define it, address the refutation a little bit, and then get into one of the antidotes, which I'll be sort of working to add some Sartre to that, right? I think Phoebe suggested um, that we have a discussion about Sartre's notion of bad faith. So I'm hoping to also offer us a lecture on that. That's going to be interesting. And in addition to that, I think I, you know, I enjoyed our conversation, some of the points we raised last class, and I hope that this lecture um, in a couple minutes, once we get past our little review of the concept here, uh, might be useful for us in regards to some of the topics that were raised. All right. So before we get into pigeonholing, which of course is going to negatively affect our ability to make good judgments, right? It's going to affect our perceptions of the world and our perceptions of ourselves negatively. Let's get into what different types of judgment are for Aristotle. Um, and I'm going to jump right into Cohen here. This is coming from, once again, the new rational therapy. He shares, quote, a person who possesses practical wisdom is open-minded. This means being able to take an objective, unbiased perspective in exploring and choosing alternative solutions to a practical problem. It involves having a discerning eye for creative solutions. Aristotle called such discernment good judgment, and he distinguished between two sorts, sympathetic judgment and correct judgment. The former, he said, quote, discriminates what is equitable and does so correctly. So we're figuring out what's equitable, and we have to do that well, right? While the latter judges what is true with an eye toward acting, right? So we want to use these two types of judgments to, of course, pursue virtues, which are our aims, right? as we've discussed, right? Justice, right? Balance. And we want to make sure that we're bringing objective judgments to bear on the world to see basically what's what, right? To see what it is. Great mantra, it is what it is, but do you really know what it is, is kind of the point, the point to this to an extent, right? So when we're pigeonholing, which we'll define in a second, right, we're not doing that well. When we're committing other fallacies of judgment, we're not doing that well. We're getting it in our own way in regards to this very important process of making sympathetic and correct judgments, right? Because of course, we want to make these judgments to pursue virtue. And Aristotle makes that point very clear, right? Virtue creates, you know, our aims, so again, the virtue is whether it's balance, whether it's justice, right? These are things that create the direction. And then the good judgments are how we sort of pursue those aims, right? And, and examine those aims. And by examining, I mean, we have to reflect on our ideas around those aims and also around our actions and the actions and ideas of those around us as well. And, you know, um, in reference to these important virtues. Right. So the exercise of good or practical judgment is a powerful antidote to one of the most dangerous and self-defeating human tendencies. This is the tendency to oversimplify reality. Right. And the way we're going to talk about oversimplifying reality in these lectures, as I've been saying, is pigeonholing. So in pigeonholing, this is from Cohen, you oversimplify your range of options. So you're thinking in all or nothing terms and you're not seeing the middle ground and you're not seeing, let's say, like the gray areas of life. So it's almost as if, and this will, I think, come up again with Sartre really nicely, right? It's almost as if you're practicing a kind of blindness, right? I think that's one way of looking at it. And I mean that to say you're ignoring the possibility of something else. And it might be something that is, let's say, 
tangibly or readily or even easily visible or accessible, right? But it's also maybe the shutting down of or the not, let's say, we could say the, the shutting down of, but also we could say the practice of not training the capacity to be creative, to see things from multiple perspectives, to see ourselves from multiple perspectives. And we're not, if we're practicing this, we're not cultivating the capacity to be open, to kind of embody, let's say like that artistic approach to living, right? That artistic approach to creating a self and the notion that the world ultimately is something we can influence. And we should work to offer things to the world that influence it positively, right? And that those things are of consequence, they matter. So that's the first part of pigeonholing, right? That oversimplification of the range of options. Maybe it's that, again, we don't acknowledge what's in front of us. Maybe it's that we refuse to create some new paths, some new ideas. And then the oversimplification really, I think, sort of, in a, in a sense, boils down to Sartre on bad faith, right? So we want to make sure we're not oversimplifying things. We want to make sure we're not practicing the all or nothing, right? Because the all or nothing, and we've talked about this a lot in the class, right? In a lot of senses, and in many cases, and of course not all cases, right, all or nothing thinking will create excess or will create deficiency. It's inherently imbalanced, right? And Aristotle will tell us that if we're sort of practicing all or nothing thinking, right, without any room for a gray area or any room for some sort of balance or middle ground, right, we're confusing two different types of statements. Contraries and contradictions. Contrary statements are opposites that allow for other possibilities, right? On the other hand, a contradiction is an opposition which is its own, I'm sorry, which of its own nature excludes a middle. So in thinking of contraries as though they were contradictions, you ignore the options in the middle, right? So we can't ignore the options. And we did very well at that. We had the exercise with that in class and it doesn't seem like a lot of us are, um, again, seemingly based on the responses, uh, a lot of us are doing this, which is to say we're not confusing this. It seems as though we've cultivated a, a pretty high degree of openness, which is really good for making sure that we're not practicing pigeonholing, right? So as I just said, a number of us seem like we're already refuting this really nicely, but I do want to give us the refutation from Cohen. I think it's pretty solid. He says, quote, in pigeonholing reality, you make the logical mistake of thinking of contrary statements as though they were contradictions. In so doing, you exclude options that could be important in helping you make more realistic decisions. For example, in thinking that people are either saints or sinners, you either idealize them or demonize them rather than accepting the fact that they are neither, but instead fallible creatures capable of both virtue and vice. And I think an important word there to highlight that we've already mentioned in this lecture is this notion of capable, right? Pigeonholing shuts down the cultivation of a capacity. One, to perceive the world as rich and complex, to perceive ourselves in that way as well, right? And also shuts down our capacity for the first or for confronting the first part of the fallacy, right? Which is limiting our possibilities and options. And the, an interesting question, or the question that I think this raises for me most um, immediately is, well, how can we practice seeing new possibilities? Right, which again lends itself to a wonderful conversation as we sort of began last class about how do I maybe encourage myself to become more creative? What are the areas in my life where I'm presently 
feeling like I'm really creative? What ways am I, let's say, maybe following some type of formula that was seemingly provided for me without questioning it? Right, so at the heart of fighting this fallacy is the cultivation of creativity. And I think for Sartre, as we'll see, it's the cultivation of a greater sense of freedom. Right, I think when we get to that conversation, we'll see also this, this sort of question of, oh, I have to go. I have to do these things. Not seeing beyond that sort of constructed sense of obligation, not getting to the root of it, and then again, you know, not creating alternate or alternative possibilities for ourselves. Whether it's something as simple as how we spend the weekend or something as simple as what we do, um, you know, with our daily routine. And then, of course, the larger issues like, you know, what we do for our careers, right? How we interact with our loved ones. So I think there are some pretty big implications um, and results that might come from examining how we might be practicing pigeonholing in our lives presently, right? How do we maybe confine ourselves in regards to oversimplifying reality, seeing things all or nothing, and or this idea that we're not practicing seeing other possibilities, right? That we might be giving ourselves too few chances to imagine, right? Too few chances to cultivate new perspectives. And it could be imp impacting us negatively, right? Even sitting for a moment, right? Presently for yourself, what do you see as your range of options? And I mean, that's obviously very general, right? But think about that in regards to, you know, back to Freud a little bit, work and love. Right? How might things be different in your relationship, let's say, with your siblings? How could it be better? How could it be healthier? Then back to work, right? Well, and this is a connection to what we talked about in class with the, uh, the idea that I think seems to be relevant for a number of us coming from uh, humanities backgrounds, myself obviously included in that, right? What are your range of options? Right, what, what might you bring to the table right now to an internship or a job? Um, what other experiences might you wanna have before you apply to jobs and internships, right? Um, but how do we expand this notions this notion of what feels and seems possible instead of turning away from the idea of what seems possible, which again would be to commit the first part of this fallacy, perhaps, right? We, we, we might be able to argue. So to sit with that in a, you know, kind of a meditative self-writing exercise, I think is very interesting. And even examining just to run with the, uh, I think powerful, but you know, uh, let's say like a very academic example, obviously, right? But what are you cultivating as a humanities major? What skills? What capacities? What habits? How could you see a greater range of options as a result of maybe breaking down the skill set you're cultivating? Then you see maybe that, although it's ironic, right? Because you're kind of going deeper into a more detailed, specific conversation about what's going on. And yet, when you focus on those details, I think it opens up to a much more general understanding of what's possible for us. Us, I think this is applicable to humanities majors and also people in general, right? What might be the confining forces? Now, this is for more of a general inquiry, right? What are our confining forces in our own ways of thinking? What are the confining forces in society? 
how might we, how might we address those to once again use the Aristotelian notions of uh, sympathetic and correct judgment to create a more equitable society? Or how can we encourage ourselves and others to cultivate um, correct judgment, to pursue truth, a topic we've talked about a lot? Well, pigeonholing, I think, again, we, we may think of um, a lot of instances in which pigeonholing will not be helpful in the pursuit of truth. Because, again, it ignores significant aspects of reality. Another aspect that Cohen adds to it that I, I think works this question quite nicely is sometimes, and this works with Sartre too, for some of his reasoning behind why we might be practicing bad faith, uh, pigeonholing is a way almost, you know, it can be a way to avoid the truth. Because sometimes as people, we want a simple truth. I think Cohen uses the word, you know, we want reality to be tidy. That's not necessarily the case. So pigeonholing can certainly be detrimental to the pursuit of correct judgment. And also, of course, detrimental to the pursuit of sympathetic judgment. Couple of closing questions for this uh, little brief introduction. Um, how can we work to embrace creativity? And then I think we'll talk about Sartre on this, right? But and and freedom. And then how can we encourage and help others to do the same? And that last question I think could be a really nice starting point for a potential uh, take-home exercise, right? If we're going to be again, I would love to hear people's opinions on this, but if we're going to be constructing dialogues, using logic-based therapy, constructing arguments, using bibliotherapy, if you were maybe, again, giving advice to a character or to yourself in this exercise, and you found that maybe you were pigeonholing yourself, you were making arguments, right? Again, just to stick with our general example here, right? As a humanities major, only seeing yourself in one way, and that was detrimental to your growth and your vocation, which then, of course, has other reverberations in your life. So that's an important conversation to have. Um, how could you maybe use Sartre on bad faith. And then in this dialogue, you'd be the person giving the advice, let's say, using logic-based therapy. Um, and that would, you know, kind of help us answer that last question. How could you encourage and help others to do the same? Well, you have to make good arguments, one could argue, right, that that's a good idea. So on that note, I hope this brief introduction, a little bit of a review, right, might be useful. Um, I think I added a couple other elements in this conversation that we didn't include in our class on, uh, on Monday. So yeah, next, uh, little segment, we're going to get into Sartre on, uh, on bad faith.